a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Who's weirder, you or me? You just put the law on my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall So shifting gears here, well, to some extent. Not shifting all the gears. Okay, so Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984 has been talked and talked and talked to death by many, many people. And there are a lot of things about this movie that we kind of feel like everybody talks about and everybody knows and everyone digs into. And and that's great. You know, I mean, they're interesting stories. Uh, Freddie's interesting. And Nancy's a great final girl. Glenn's death is awesome looking. Yeah. Yeah. I could retread all of the Never Sleep Again documentary, and <laughs> which is fantastic. <laughs> but... So last night, I texted Michelle and went, oh, I just noticed something in A Nightmare on Elm Street. And she goes, oh, I'm watching it too. And so we had a conversation over text while the movie was going on. And apparently, I broke Michelle's brain. You broke my brain. I didn't mean to. But what we're going to kind of go with (laughs) is what is it that came up exactly about this movie that we don't feel gets discussed as much by other shows? I've written about this movie pretty extensively. I've I've Mm -hmm. written about it on its own and also in part of my Wes Craven series, of course. But I think... You were on a great podcast of Schlock and Awe. I talked about it extensively on (laughs) Schlock and Awe as well. That was a great episode, though. I loved it. We ended up talking about Elm Street for a really... We talked about M (laughs) for a little while, like 45 minutes, and then Nightmare on Elm Street, it was like an hour and a half. I mean, gosh, we just went on and on about it. Um, But... This is one of those movies. I mean, I posted on Twitter that I was watching this movie and Lindsay Wilkins, who hosts Shock and Awe, actually said, wow, that movie is in your DNA. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, "Yeah, I think it is. Uh, This is a movie that, you know, I've obsessed over since before I could even see it. Uh, It was a movie that I was uh, deeply into because Freddy was sort of a cultural phenomenon at the time. I would have been six, I think, when the movie came out in the theater, so I didn't see it at the time. I saw it, but I remember seeing the video cassette and that poster that terrified me. Uh, even seeing just the knife hands over this person's face, I still love that poster. In fact, it's hanging up behind me. There it is. I see it. Hi, Nancy. Um, <laughs> but I am looking at a giant Freddy right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My new nightmare. Your new nightmare poster. Um, Yeah. But, um, you know, that Matthew Peake poster is still one of my very favorite posters. I think it's so striking. But some of the stuff that came up about this last night 
between <laughs> us was that this movie plays with reality maybe more than people give it credit for. I think way more. Yeah. Because I hadn't actually watched this all the way through in quite a long time. And I definitely had never thought about it as deeply or as extensively as you have. And now I'm thinking maybe I should have because I would have seen so much more beforehand that broke my brain last night. (laughs) Because the major thing, I think, is just that I always took the major sequences that happened in the movie at face value for what happened, um, whether or not it was in a dream or in reality. And now pretty much every single one of those has been turned on its head for me. And I have a completely different idea of what happened, especially what happens at the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot. I've been like itching ever since we got into that last night because I had all these questions that like, I should have had before, but I did it. And it just kind of came to me. I think it was when you said something about Marge's death at the end, making Nancy realize that she was dreaming i was like huh <laughs> that one thing that like that just opened the whole ball of wax <laughs> so i was like oh my god that's way more intense so yeah I, i've been itching to like get into this ever since last night i think i wrote that to you before you had gotten to that scene yeah and then i heard nancy's line in that scene which just completely changed the whole movie around for me <laughs> yeah yeah okay so um ah! i don't i don't want to go plot 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 with this no. but Here's what I'm thinking. Okay, so at the very beginning, we have Tina's first dream. I think the sound design and the set decoration is huge for this movie. And it, I never hear people talk about it for some reason. That boiler room set is amazing. But I mean, even just like details of stuff that are in the people's rooms. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are all these little tiny details. Atten- I always love to pay attention to that. Like, yeah. The decoration and stuff. It's really good. Oh, it's incredible. In this, I mean, this is a little indie movie. And that's one of the things about small, small, small budget movies is the set decoration so often seems really bare. It's like they have a poster on mm-hmm. a wall or this or that, but not in this movie at all. I mean, these look like real living rooms. They look like real bedrooms of kids. They do. I think you see that more in just older movies. Or there's like a certain time period where everything feels much more lived in, whereas like what we get now feels like it's it's always like a model house. You know, nothing ever yeah. really feels real. Not a lot of the times. When it feels more lived in, that's when you get more of a sense of the place and the characters yeah definitely get that in this movie i think like the suddenly the sheep just there's just a sheep there and then it goes on later and tina screams and her scream is overlaid with the sound of sheep bleeding you know like (laughs) i mean it's like she's a lamb being led to the slaughter slaughter all these really kinds of crazy things but then when she wakes up part of me is starting to question is she really awake (laughs) okay right at the beginning after that opening dream i'm just gonna lay it all out there because i said this before this is what i I said this this is this is my theory that i said on Lindsay's show that i've is not is a a little bit half-assed i'll admit it but for me, after the dream sequence, the first thing you see is the car driving up, right? You know, you see Glenn's car. and You see the kids on the jump ropes. Yeah, that's right. You see the first. jump rope kids first. You're right. You're right. Shame on me for not remembering that because that is key. Because I it's, think that's it's key. It's the fog. It's the fog and it's the jump rope kids and it pans over and there's the car. The and seriously, disappears. what teenager that lives on Elm Street has a car like that? Seriously, you look, at, you look at Glenn's family. Glenn's family looks like they're do okay, but they don't yeah. look like they're super rich to me, you know? 
I don't know. I didn't think about that part. I don't know. Yeah. And so, okay. Now track with me. <laughs> what is the last thing we see in this movie? Them getting in the car and the racing car? off in the fog pans over and there's the jump rope girls. I think the movie is a loop. <laughs> And I think it is all a dream. I think the movie. Who's dream? Who's dream who's though? dreaming? I don't know. Who's dream? What last, be? Okay, here's the thing. Last up till last night. Up until last night, I thought it all has to be Nancy's dream, right? It, it all has to be Nancy's I dream. I think it's Tina's dream. But then I thought, why does it have to be Nancy's dream? Why does it have to be just one person's dream? Why can't it be all four of these kids dreaming mm-hmm. at different times in the movie? Because we have Tina. Then we yes. go to Nancy, then we go to Tina, then we go to Rod, then we go to Nancy, then we go to, uh, I mean, it just goes, and then yeah. Glenn, and then Nancy. We're Most of the time, I think we're with Nancy, most of the time. But there are times where it's like stuff that she couldn't see, mm-hmm. where you have Rod. I mean, it like, opens with a totally yeah. different character. Opens with a different character, and, and then it has a scene where you're in Tina's dream, definitely in yes. Tina's dream. But at the same time, there's just this blurring of reality. Okay, it's sort of like you have a really, really vivid dream, you know, where you're not quite awake and you're not quite Mm -hmm. asleep, where you have, where dreams just feel so real. And then you wake up and you're still kind of feeling the feelings of that dream. Yeah. I think this movie is Wes Craven trying to make you feel that way in filmic form. Okay. Where you're not really sure. Where you're what's not really sure what's, what's real and what's not. And I think that is the that is more the effect than this is someone's dream. You know what I mean? Because uh-huh. there are times where it's like, I don't know if this is or not. But then there are other times where. There are things oh, that happen that are very clearly a dream. Yeah. That the movie establishes in this first movie that kind of gets a little screwed up by the sequels yeah. of what Freddy is actually capable of. Yeah. Okay. I like the sequels a lot. Let me say I. I I love I, the sequels. I, I, have I love a, even the bad ones. I love them. I have, a, I have a lot of fun with all of them. I used to really dislike some of them, but I've actually come to sort of like all of them at some level. A five's probably the least still, but... I love five. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. <laughs> I have a thing. I have a thing for all of them. Okay. Um, but I think the, the problem is that none of them really understand what Craven was doing. I don't think so now. Yeah. yeah. None of them really seem to fully grasp what he did with the first movie. And Craven knows Perfect. it. And he's watching. It's like, this is why this doesn't make any sense. I mean, part two, for example, to me, makes zero sense unless that whole movie is a dream. You know, with Freddy coming to the real world and he's yeah. disappearing sometimes and he's appearing out of nowhere. That movie makes zero sense unless it's a dream from beginning because, to end. Yeah. because now i'm not even convinced at all that at the end that nancy actually did bring freddie into the real world i don't think she did no i don't think so either anymore (laughs) which i had never thought about i always just like i said i always just like took that at face value even though i should have been clued in by the fact that her mother's death scene is really fucking weird and supernatural it It didn't happen like that in the real world even before that okay when we're thinking about the climax of the movie, oh, there's so much I would love to just dive into with this. I mean, I almost want to go back to the beginning and say, you know, hey, there's well, what are some stuff new going things? There on. are some new things also that you noticed this time well, that the kind of themes dealing with the themes of the movie. Sure, and you know, some of the stuff that you have here is it's like they don't see the jump rope kids. You know, mm-hmm. 
where I, they get out of the car and what what are they talking about? They're saying it's like one, two, Freddy's coming for you. You know, it's like, yeah, like that old jump rope song. Yes. So this is something that is ingrained in the town. Freddy is the buried secret that has bubbled up in these different ways, including this. And the thing is, at the beginning of M, Fritz Lang's movie M, they the kids are playing this game where they're talking about the killer coming to kill them. I remember that. I got to watch that movie again. Yeah. And so this is the same kind of thing. You know, yeah. this jump rope song is like one, two, Freddy's coming for you. But the thing is, it doesn't make sense for those the to be the words to the song yet because if that song was created while he was still alive never sleep again yeah doesn't make any sense that doesn't make any sense <laughs> you know it. right <laughs> so i've honestly that's just that just came to my mind so that's why this movie is literally a nightmare on yeah. elm street Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there in the title. Wes Craven is telling you this movie is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Oh my God. I never thought of it before. No, that fucking song doesn't make any sense, does it? If it was created while Freddy was still alive. If they call it an old jump rope song. That's just one line though. Maybe they forgot about that or something. I know. It's so. I it's, don't know. Well, here's the thing. Here's now people stay people up late. Yeah, they wouldn't. He wouldn't be, uh, unless it was. No, <laughs> no, that doesn't work. Cousin. Yeah, trying to justify it. I unless can't. he has the power to, because uh, apparently, when we're experiencing this movie, what we're experiencing, Freddie has just gotten to the point where he has figured out how to infiltrate. It seems like right people's dreams. You know, it took him what fifteen years. We're assuming somewhere in that general vicinity. It doesn't say specifically. I would say that the kids who are teenagers now were probably. I'm assuming they're very young when Freddy's actually. But burned. wouldn't they have like. I'm assuming they would have been two, one. That young? Okay. That's what I'm assuming. That's what I was thinking too. Because like any older than they would have been like Freddy's. Why don't they remember victims. Freddy? Yeah. And they would, they would be at the same age as. Freddy's yeah. victims probably were. They would remember something. Yeah. Well, a scene that was cut out of the movie is that Marge tells Nancy that her s- older sibling was killed by Freddy. That's right. Yes, I forgot yeah. about that. And that's mm-hmm. that's a, one of those little tidbits that I'm kind of like I kind of wish it to stay. But people were like, well, why wouldn't Nancy remember if she had a sibling? Well, because she's like one. You know, yeah. that's my thought. Because I think the idea is that these parents are a either had children that were murdered by Freddy. Or were fearing that their child was next. These are the ones that took revenge. That took the law into their own hands. And yeah. killed Freddy. Right. Marge probably for not, sure. Yeah, probably not just the the parents of the victims. But also uh, like everybody else who actually who had any kind of child mm-hmm. at any age that was mm-hmm. probably afraid of this guy. They said he killed, what, at least 20 kids? 20 kids in the neighborhood, yeah. Yeah. Or a dozen kids, I can't remember. 20 kids, I think is what she says. Another so thing like, with the law, man, not enough laws are not the right laws that yeah. he could get off on a technicality. Right. <laughs> Someone forgot to sign the search warrant in the right yeah. place. Yeah. Here's the thing. This is the movie that Craven created that he really had time to think about. Okay. Because Last House on the Left, he wrote very quickly. It was a big success, but it made him a little bit of a pariah. Uh, Hills Have Eyes was sort of like, okay, you need to make another horror movie because no one's going to hire you to do anything else. Uh, And he really wanted to make movies. Um, So he's like, okay, I'll make something on my own terms. 
And so he made uh, The Hills Have Eyes, which I think is an extraordinary movie. I really like The Hills Have Eyes. Hmm. That came out in 77, right? He started thinking about the idea of, hmm, a killer that kills people in their dreams. That's interesting. He started thinking about that when he was making The Hills Have Eyes. So he had a lot of time. He had a lot of time. think about that stuff and get it right. I mean, that's where the germ of A Nightmare on Elm Street came in. Before Halloween. I mean, this is before the slasher boom. He wasn't trying to subvert the slasher thing. He was just doing his own thing, essentially, when he conceived of the germ of the idea. I don't know how much was really come up with that at that point. But then he made some movies. He made, you know, Deadly Blessing and, and Swamp Thing. He took a big break after Swamp Thing to write Nightmare. I mean, to really write it. Shopped it to a bunch of studios. No one would take it. He kept on thinking about it. He kept on ruminating on it, running it over in his mind, refining it, making it exactly what he wanted it to be. So I think, except for the budget constraints and the ending... Craven really made the movie he wanted to make. The only, yeah, the only thing that doesn't feel like him is the ending. Yeah, yeah, that's Bob Shea. Um, yeah, he would have hated that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get he to He probably that. did hate it. <laughs> we'll get to that ending. The ending is the one thing about the movie that, that fucks I everything really up. dislike. God. It ruins a lot of stuff, I mean, frankly. I mean, I'll explain what I imagine the ending to be, and I think okay. it works better. Okay. Uh, and it, this, this is okay. when I watch the movie, it's like, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. <laughs> we're not what we're seeing on screen. This is bad. Now, this is something you brought up where Tina says, maybe there's going to be a big earthquake or something. Yeah. It sounds like things get really weird before an earthquake, which links it to the new nightmare. My a, favorite nightmare. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> new nightmare is probably just the one that I've seen the most. Uh-huh. I think it's probably, I think it was one of the, the first one I saw actually before any of the other ones. So. That's why I have I have I'm in love with New Nightmare. I'm oh, so am I. I think... my giant New Nightmare poster right now, and it's beautiful, and I love it. And I would have loved to have talked about Nightmare and New Nightmare in the same episode. It's, I really wish it had worked out like that because I think that would have been awesome. Honestly, they're the two best ones in the series to me. They're the, my top two. Oh, mine too. My two. Though I've I've come to really like four a lot, and I don't really know yeah. why. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> silly movie, but but um, I enjoy four. But yeah, I loved that line because that just that immediately made me think of New Nightmare because yeah. the the whole thing with the earthquakes and that yeah all those earthquakes they have in Ohio. <laughs> so by the way this they is don't this is the whole thing. Ohio in this movie no they don't say they don't even say it's springwood in this movie yeah. springwood comes up in part two and even part two doesn't even say it's ohio i don't think ohio comes up to like four or five and the thing is this movie clearly takes place in california I, palm like trees palm every trees. <laughs> everywhere. It's actually filmed on the same street uh, that Halloween was shot. Yes, yes. Um, Lori's in, house in Pasadena. Is, yeah, yeah. Lori's house is not too far away from Nancy's house. Yep, from what yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, which so, I can see it. Anyway. So there's there's just really lots of good stuff. Okay, so um, my notes mean nothing now. I know my notes kind of mean nothing too, but I mean there's there are things that I think are really interesting character beats, like Nancy taking the knife away from Rod. Yes, you know when, I know that too. Yeah, she just pulls it away. She's just sleepover date rod glenn was just leaving and you know she's think, she like she like totally chill she's she totally to chill yeah yeah and i think the way she handles it i mean i honestly i think she gets that some of that from her dad you know you can see mm-hmm. some of that continuity of character 
because I think Donald is is a really strong fatherly figure, even though they're divorced, even though the parents are divorced and he does not live with them. There's a beautiful connection between them. I think that's pro- there was probably some of that cop's daughter uh, yeah. being taught how to, you know, how to, how to take care of herself, take yeah. care of herself. Yeah, that she's definitely got a lot of that. You know, Nancy, of course, has always been seen as one of everybody's favorite final girls. And it's always kind of like, yeah, I got others that I like more, though. I admired her a lot more this time around, I got to say. Yeah, I think there's some things that I didn't really. I mean, obviously, I I know every nuance of this movie, it seems like. Yeah. But there are things that just sort of struck me differently. Even yeah. I've watched this movie a lot recently and even more than I, I used to, which is I used to watch it a lot, too. I probably hadn't watched it in several years, like. At least not like from beginning to end. Okay, so Tina's dream, this is where you really start seeing Freddy. And this is where you sort of get the Max Katie-ness of Freddy. Because what's he doing? You know, he's... He's taunting her at first. He's taunting the, the her pebble, for so The pebbles long. at the window. Yeah, and, and then one of them, it's a tooth. One of them's like a tooth that's really? stuck in... Yeah. Is that the tooth? I didn't uh, the last one is, is a, like a molar that's just yes. stuck in there. I, that's one thing that, that I realized later. It's like, that's not a pebble. That's a tooth. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the whole thing, you know, like the face through the wall over Nancy. That's so effective still. And the crucifix mm-hmm. just popping off the wall mm-hmm. is uh, great stuff. And, you know, these nice touches of the religious imagery. I mean, that Craven, I think, was supplying unconsciously at this point to this movie because he was so far removed from his religious upbringing by the time this came out. But it was still sort of permeating so much of his work in interesting ways, you know, not in ways that were obvious, but in ways that were subtle and subtextual. Freddie's got that line in this scene. (laughs) Yeah. Please, God. This is God. And we just have Tina saying, please, God, Mm -hmm. is essentially, you know, 30 days of night. The only thing I remember from that movie is when the vampire says the the per, the victim's crying out for God, and he says, "No God." <laughs> you know, it's it's sort of the same thing. It's it's that kind of of attitude, or kind of like Max Cady is like, once you're alone with this guy, no one can help you. No one can help. You. He's just that evil, and he's just enjoying himself being that evil. He's he's always freaking laughing. her. He's freaking her out with the the arm Arms thing that he does. And the sparks. He's just, mm-hmm, he's just doing that to freak her out, and he specifically tells her, you know, hey, look, and laughing as he does the thing with his fingers. And he cuts off his it's, fingers, and the yeah, pus just, flies out, and <laughs> that's so gross. And then then they're in the bed together, and like she pulls off his face, and he's ah. <laughs> it's very Wicked Witch of the West almost. I mean, it's really crazy. And yeah. um, and Tina's death is brutal and heartbreaking and so sad. She's so alone. She's screaming out for Rod to help her. And Rod, he can't do anything. He doesn't know what to do. You know, He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. That's another thing where it's like, this can't happen. This can't happen. Yeah. Why? <laughs> She is on the ceiling, bleeding to death. That's impossible in the real world. She literally world. gets like lifted up in the air. Yeah. Lifted up off the bed and then dragged across the ceiling. How? So you're saying that this is a dream? Yes. 
Like this is. I think it is. I don't know whose dream though. That's my thing. Rod's. Maybe? I'm wondering if it's Rod. I don't know. I don't know. Is it Nancy? Because we know that Freddy Craven's even on record as saying here's the here's the only rule of Freddy. Freddy can only exist in a dream. Even when you think it's not a dream, if Freddy's there, it's a dream. It's a dream. And he has said that. Okay. And Freddy can't, he can only harm the dreamer, right? Yeah, but we have talked about they all have dreams simultaneously, too. Yeah. So he's okay. sort of omniscient. He's almost like an evil god type character. Okay, so what, what about the aftermath, though, of Tina's death? Even though if it didn't happen like that, there was still... There's still blood on the ceiling. Or how did it get? Yeah, there? I mean, she dies in her dream. I mean, she's still, uh-huh. she's still the gore and the blood and all that other stuff. I don't know. And that's part of the question of where is reality and where is the dream world? And the beauty of Craven is he doesn't answer it because a lot of people will say it's a cheat if it's just a dream. It's a cheat, and it's like it's only a cheat if they say, "Oh, it was just a dream." Mm. Craven never says that. He doesn't say that specifically, yeah. Yeah, Craven never know. says it's just a dream. Uh, Nancy says it at the end, but at that point, we know it really is. Here, we don't know. We just don't know if this is a dream or not. I don't know if it's a dream or not. But at the same time, you're looking at this death and you're going, that can't happen in the real world. Yeah. I mean, can Freddy climb the walls and drag a human whose eyes are wide open? She's awake. Yes. She's not dreaming. And that's the thing. So's Glenn and so's Rod. Their eyes are open as they are being murdered in every case. But they could be that they're f- they fall asleep. And they, mm-hmm. they dream themselves sleeping. Right. I know. And so the person that wakes up is not really the real them, but the dream them. Right. But that's confusing. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> God damn you, Brian. <laughs> this is what makes the movie brain. kind of super brilliant. Because, I mean, it doesn't answer the questions. It lets you struggle with these things that are like, these things don't happen in the real world. People die have you know obviously this is based on or inspired by a real situation of you know young people dying in their sleep and that's well documented and all but what's happening in the movie it's like i don't know when or how or who even is actually dead by the end of the movie it's sort of like but they're all back. But hey, she just walked out of her her mom's upstairs bedroom onto her front front porch. (laughs) You know, I mean, and now she's wearing different clothes. I don't know if that's a seamless transition, though, is what I'm thinking. But that's the only death that now I don't think actually have. I think maybe all the other ones did. I'm not convinced at all about Marge's death. The other ones feel real, though. They do. And I agree. And I think they all die. It's just the method is unknown, I think. Honestly, I think they all die. I think Rod dies. I think Tina dies. And I think that... I even think Marge dies. I don't think she does. (laughs) I think she does. I think she does. But I think that what happens is not necessarily what you see. What you see. Okay, yeah. This is what Freddy did to them. Freddie killed them, but did he really, outside of the dream world, did, was she really climbing up the wall, dragging up the wall? Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's almost like a like a voodoo doll situation. Right. <laughs> kind of like where you, you see the wounds, but it didn't, it just happens in a different way. It didn't, no one was actually there to make them. 
because he right. doesn't actually he only exists in the dream i don't fucking know what i'm saying they definitely have the the wounds in the aftermath of their attacks by freddy yeah i mean and you see the the blood is everywhere i mean she was cut and she bled out she is found on the floor mm-hmm. by the bed you know obviously dropped from the ceiling as we see it and and you know it's weird when rod recounts it later he says somebody cut her while i watched it was like four razors cut her at the same time mm-hmm. that you know makes sense why doesn't he say and then she like dr- got dragged up the wall and <laughs> hanging from the ceiling that seems like an important detail <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, and the thing is, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying no, I, I don't know. know for sure. I don't know for sure. It's I think a, that... It's definitely a different way of thinking about it that, again, I honestly had not done before. And it's yeah. kind of pissing me off and making me excited at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it makes it it makes the movie more inscrutable. Right? It makes it It yeah. makes it like you just... Maybe you thought you had it figured out, but maybe you don't entirely. I don't. And I think... I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that Craven entirely had it all figured out himself. I, I think he let himself play with this feeling of when you don't know something is real or not to the far farthest that, extent that, that you he, possibly he can. Even distinguish. Yeah. People always argue about Inception. Oh, man, that movie's so mind-blowing. And this movie outdoes Inception, as far as I'm concerned, as far as its reality-bending dream stuff. It does, and it does it on a $2 million budget. I believe that now. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I believe that now. God damn it. But then there's some stuff, these little touches in here, you know, after Tina's death. I love the introduction of the parents. And it's like, hello to you too, Donald. Mm-hmm. Marge. Uh, I that's love a that very, exchange. I think that's a very important scene yeah. between the two of them. It, the animosity, obviously, of the parents is, is so yeah. felt, uh, especially when he's asking Nancy, is like, what you were doing there. He's looking right at Marge mm-hmm. when he says that. So, well, what were you doing over at... Shacking you know, up with two other kids hat. in the middle of the night, yeah. especially a lunatic like Rod Lane. But then, uh, like, the TV news report and stuff like that the next morning where the hand flopping out of the body bag and all that stuff is like, oh, my gosh. That's Nightcrawler shit. That's Nightcrawler stuff, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing you don't see on most of your weekly news updates. But, you know, hey, uh, Craven is always talking about the overabundance of violence on television. I mean, just watch Shocker. Um, (laughs) Just watch Scream, frankly. This scene and um, or the the one in the station and the next morning, I think the sins of the father thing is a big theme. There's also kind of a theme to me of parents not listening to their kids. Totally. Not just about the dream stuff, but about about Rod, about... Mm-hmm. Their relationships, like they see right. it as one thing. They see it. He's a bad kid. Right. Oh, they got into a fight. It could it could have just been like a stupid fight where they were just playfully insulting each other like they do at the beginning of the movie. Right. It like, could be not a real fight. It doesn't have to be something. It's like, how, how can you say I don't take her death seriously? I mean, that, yeah. <laughs> that poor Nancy during <laughs> yeah, that exactly. scene is just like. And then she stands up for herself to her parents in that moment. But then she kind of goes right back to it. Saying like I just meant their fights weren't that serious, and that Rob's Rod's actually a good guy, which yeah, I, I it's hard either. to say. I, I mean, go, he's, I can go either way. He's on him. <laughs> troubled. 
He's obviously a troubled <laughs> kid. He's not a super great guy at all the time. It's also interesting that the dynamic between Tina and, and her mom, too. Yeah. Fraud is very much not... I don't want to say he's kind of like the, the smarmy guy at the beginning, but... You coming back to she, the sack or what? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite guy to imitate from this movie. Even though I think well, he's... Not- <laughs> Lying from Tina's mom after she wakes up and her nightgown is cut. She's like, you either got to cut your fingernails or stop dreaming that way. It's like, okay, mom, I'll just stop dreaming. Thanks. Perfect. That's like the stupidest line. I'm she sorry. She means it as a joke. It's like, you, just, you just stop that kind of dreaming. One she says it so seriously, though. Like, I know. That, line, that line's always gotten to me. I love you, Wes. I love that line because it actually, uh, when I first saw it, I saw this in the weirdest circumstances. I saw it at a family Christmas gathering for the first time. Um, And I could not believe that my family was okay with this movie because it was like my extended family. It was like my grandma and my aunt and uncle and, and everybody. And somehow we got convinced to show Nightmare on Elm Street and everyone kind of laughed at that line. Uh, that <laughs> the, the stuff that kind of dreaming thing because I think everyone was kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was very interesting. But Jewish. you can see that with um, what I was talking about before, with especially with Donald and Nancy. Yeah, it seems like they have a better relationship, possibly before this, than she did with her mother. Anyway, I kind of get that feeling. Yeah, S- sometimes I don't know. You can't really tell really what their the relationship was like before there's obviously some at least internalized animosity towards her mother when she finally blurts it out and like calls her out for being a drunk basically yeah later on but there's the thing with donald about you know obviously he just wants to protect her he sees a potential threat in rod against her and wants to get rid of it and not really listen to what she's saying and that's just such a frustrating thing for for kids to go through and you definitely feel that a, a lot in these kind of movies where they're they're trying to explain what's happening even though it's fucking crazy yeah i know there's a guy in their dreams yeah and it would be easy not to believe your child if they said that i mean come on especially when they find out the name they're like okay you shouldn't know that name but okay the lynn shay as the english teacher scene i kind of love this i do i have always loved this scene uh they're talking about hamlet you know, you always have to have an English class in a horror movie that talks about something that is pertinent to the themes of the movie. It's directly related to yeah. what's going on in yeah. the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's sort <laughs> of like the fate uh, discussion in Halloween, right? Uh, this is <laughs> right. this is a lot like that is a lot like that scene, frankly. This is way more on the nose. It is. She specifically talks about like the grave diggers and all. Yeah, how does Hamlet deal with uh, his mother's lies? Like, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I do like that line though. I think that's a good kind of like foreshadowing mm-hmm. line though, in a way too though. It is. And also the fact that it's so on the nose makes you kind of wonder too. Is it her subconscious? trying to tell her something (laughs) but then we actually go into the literal dream where we know it's a dream because the kid starts going i could be bonded in a nutshell you know that's he says so good at that i love that i love that delivery what is seen is not always what is real according to shakespeare there was something operating in nature perhaps inside human nature itself that was rotten 
a canker, as he put it. Now, of course, Hamlet's response to this and to his mother's lies was to continually probe and dig, just like the grave diggers, always trying to get beneath the surface. The same is true in a different way in Julius Caesar. John, will you go ahead, please? Uh, in the most high and palmy state of Rome, a little ere the mightiest Julius fell. The grave stood tenantless, and the sheeted dead did squeak and gibber in the Roman streets. As stars with trains of fire and dews of blood, disasters in the sun and the moist air, upon his influence Neptune's empire stands. and count myself a king of infinite space were it not that I have bad dreams which is just great stuff I mean yeah and she sees Tina Tina in the in the body bag is so disturbing those images whenever Tina shows up in the body bag I think it is some of the most disturbing images in the movie and then she just kind of gets dragged down the hall and the blood trail and then, of course, my favorite line, where's your pass? Screw your pass. That's your favorite line. Okay. I was, uh, when I was substitute teaching back before I had my full time, I was at a high school and they were doing like a, uh, a test like, and I wasn't trained on testing it. So I ended up hanging out with this guy who's like the sociology teacher and he was a big Elm Street fan. So we sat there and talked about Nightmare on Elm Street for, you know, a solid four hours, <laughs> just like you and me. Anyway, and we went through all the sequels and everything, but we were like the bathroom monitors. So because mm-hmm. the kid had to bring us a pass if they had to go to the bathroom, they would come up and say, here's my pass. And as soon as they went into the bathroom, we would turn to each other and go, screw your pass. Oh, it was just glorious. It was, it was, it was nothing could have been more perfect for that situation. We had so much. Oh, that was, that was the best day. (laughs) I still remember that day so well. (laughs) That was the best day of subbing I ever had. And I, I loved subbing. I love this girl in this role too. Yeah. Hey, Nancy. No running in the hallways. The way she does that, she she gets it. I mean, she gets what England was going to do as yeah. Freddy. You know, and I love the shapeshifter idea that Craven introduces on such a low budget. The idea of the stripes being this recognizable thing where you could know, hey, that's Freddy. Uh, yes. Even in this film, I mean, it's Obviously not even it comes used up a lot in the sequels. Yeah, it's used much yeah. more in the sequels, but it's just sort of a thing that. Uh, is introduced here and it's beautifully done. And then you get the, like the leaves in the hallway and she's like, she doesn't even notice it. There's no, there's nothing about it. That's odd to her because she's in a dream. Cause it never feels odd. Yeah. It never feels weird in a dream. And that's where, you know, so when you blend the realities, the, the worlds here, you know, because Craven would call it consensus reality, like you and I being awake, talking to each other, this would be called consensus reality. Uh But in a dream world, is that any less real, is his thesis. Is it any less real if it's a dream? And it's just an alternate reality. 
<laughs> and I don't agree with that. No. But I think it's interesting. And it's something he was fascinated by in this period. From Nightmare on Elm Street until New Nightmare, all of his movies, every single one of them without fail, is about the blending of different worlds and different kinds of realities. In Shocker, it's with media mixed in with yeah. it. Um, but there is dreams and stuff like that in that too. Uh, Serpent and the Rainbow, I mean, has like hallucinogenics and different things like that. So it's really fascinating that this is what he was really into for a good 10 years. I mean, and then after that it was Scream, which is very much reality bound again, much like mm-hmm. his early period where you have the three movies he started with are very reality bound movies, uh, even uh, despite the ending of Deadly Blessing. So anyway, I just lots of cool touches like that. <laughs> yeah. Just walking down the hallway, then all of a sudden she, you walk through a door, then all of a sudden you're in the boiler room. Things that just seem natural, but are totally unnatural because we don't know where this boiler room is. She comes in through the entrance. She sees Freddie and, you know, she tries to go back where she, the way she came and there's a wall there now. Uh, things like that, I think, uh-huh. are really... Um, that always happens in my dreams. <laughs> yeah. And it's great sort of observations I mean, because Craven kept a dream journal. So, I mean, I think he kept observations of his own dreams and infused them into this movie. And th- this movie also totally gets dreams, too. It does. Like, yeah, because in your dreams, like, you transition from place to place in ways that don't make sense. Yeah. And that happens all the time in these movies. And it's like, he so captures that. Yeah. I love it. And he does it so subtly in this one. It doesn't Mm -hmm. feel weird. I mean, it feels like you would feel it in a dream where it's like, oh, all of a sudden we're in a different place. Okay. There's nothing weird about it. And that's one of the things that makes when the dream world and the reality blend together so thoroughly, it makes it so effective because you don't know when it happened. You don't know where you are entirely. It's it's all very interesting stuff. One thing I don't love about this movie is the chase music. (laughs) (laughs) The the chase music. I like a lot of the music. I love the theme. I love lots of the quieter stuff. But like the chase music just doesn't do it for me. I got to admit. Another movie that opens, yeah, with great music. Mm -hmm. I love those few chords of this theme is like some of my favorite stuff. Yeah. Just as recognizable as obviously Halloween or Jaws or anything like that. I think the theme... Those high notes. Yeah, the theme in this one, it's very dream-like. You know, it's very melodic, but it's a weird melody. It just perfectly captures it. And then, you know, just the dan, 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 dan. You know, that that sing-songy, rhymey thing is very childlike and sort of reminds you of Freddy's nature. Uh, You know, what he is all about and it's gross and it's... (laughs) Uh, it's it's, <laughs> it's soft pedaled in this movie, probably yeah. for good reason. I know why, um, but it's just. So do you think that's true about Freddy? That Freddy was a child molester? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I do not doubt that. I think he was not only a murderer, but a molester. Yep. I, I, that's another thing that makes me think of Max Cady. I mean, beyond the hat and, and enjoying his work, uh, so to speak. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, he's he's a pedophile. Because, you know, that is sort of the ultimate monster, I think, in reality. I I agree with Craven for sure on this one. He wanted to create the most loathsome creature you could imagine. Someone that would enjoy... That would than a child monster, yeah. Yeah, who would enjoy torturing and tormenting a child. Yeah. 
Well, and there's an interesting <laughs> there's an interesting thing that Rod says when they're visiting in jail. He says, "I could have saved her if I had moved sooner, but I thought it was just another nightmare." And I'm starting to think, well, m- maybe it was, but this time it was effective to the point where she actually died. But how could you know? she die if it was his nightmare? <laughs> Well, she was dreaming it at the same time, though. She so is, you think they're, so you're she is, she is dreaming, dreaming the same thing? She is dreaming uh, that she's being killed, and Rod is dreaming that, that he's seeing her being killed. Really? I don't know. How could they share the same dream, though? <laughs> huh? I don't know about that. I don't How know about they... them having the same dream. That's all through this movie, though. Is it? Yeah. He's saying, he's <laughs> saying they're, they're, you dreamed about the same creep I did. No, they dream about the same person, but they don't have the exact, the, not the exact same thing happens. Right. But we don't know the extent of Freddy's abilities either. Can he make this dreamscape that goes, because I mean, like in Dream Warriors, they're all dreaming the same dream. Okay. And that's Wes Craven, too. The ideas <laughs> there are Wes Craven. True, okay. True. Okay. Where they're all dreaming the same dreams together. Like under hypnosis and stuff, that's in Craven's script. I mean, that's that wasn't changed. Okay, I'm just thinking. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> all these different ideas are coming to me now about of seeing everything differently. <laughs> I don't and know I don't for know sure, that, and, and that's why one of the reasons I love this movie is it's sort of like infinitely provocative. You know, it yeah. sort of instantly, instantly, infinitely has all of these different layers that you know that I don't know the answers to, and I think. Like I said, I don't think Craven entirely knows the answers to because why would he make the movie that way if he did, you know? There are definitely some choices that are made later on in the movie. It's like seemingly mistakes that Uh Craven would have noticed. Yeah. Yeah. When we get to those, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely a dream. Here, I'm still not sure. I don't know for sure here still. Okay, that's what I'm saying. I I don't Mm -hmm. know entirely. And, you know, then you have, you know, things like great things like the bathtub scene. And, you know, just that I mean, I think is an indication of molestation there is when you have the claw come up between between her legs, between her legs and all that stuff. I mean, it's very sexual. It's vulnerable. It's it's kind of gross. It's all of those things. It's phallic, but it's four, you know, four phalluses. You know, it's it's very odd and weird and surreal and iconic i mean good lord that sequence i mean that is i mean he basically copied his own shots (laughs) from deadly blessing because there's a bathtub scene in deadly Deadly blessing too where there's an actual yeah it's not that good but it's not great where where there's an actual snake put into the bathtub with her and and the snake like pokes its head up between her legs just like that same shot yeah, so he, 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 he copied David. himself a bit. Yeah, <laughs> real subtle. Um, but uh, <laughs> he also didn't write that script, though. Okay. But, okay, I love this stuff like she's falling asleep watching Evil Dead. I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I relate to that kind of thing so much. I used to fall asleep watching horror movies in my room all the time. And, you know, Glenn coming in through the window, of course, he would use that again in Scream. Yeah. Uh, I, the, a line I never thought about it was uh, Glenn, when he said something about, you know, you know what it feels like to be stepping on a rose bush on a trellis? R- rose trellis bare, bare, bare feet. feet. Yeah. Lots of good <laughs> stuff. I mean. Caught that. That was funny. It's like, I heard you freaked out in English class. And like, yeah. It's like, hey, what'd you do to your arm? <laughs> I burned it in English class. Um <laughs> And also the whole thing where she looks at herself in the mirror. There's another line that got a laugh from my aunt and, and others was, God, I look 20 years old. 20 years old. I was like, <laughs> fuck you. <Andy."> 
<laughs> well, the thing is, I, I imagine if Heather Langenkamp watching this movie now would probably go, oh, yeah, oh I God. wish. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're all we're all be, well beyond that. But then, I mean, okay, when she goes into the dream, it's like, ooh, it's dark in here. It's like, not that. The indication that they are in a sexual yes. relationship, and that she's not the virginal final girl. Yeah, yeah, she's she's not the she's not the typical final girl. But the typical final girl was fairly recent, honestly. Yeah. I mean, Halloween was only six years before. Yeah, Halloween is, but I mean, even fo- final girls that followed Lori, like there's an indication that Alice and Steve have oh, some sorry. sort of relationship in Friday the Thirteenth. Um, there's definitely one between Ginny, Ginny and and, uh, and what's his butt in uh, in Paul. Paul. <laughs> Paul, where's Paul? Yeah, <laughs> in Friday too. Um, there's definitely indication of sexual relationship yeah. going on there. So I mean the f- the virginal final girl is not really as incredibly common it's not. until <laughs> except in sort of the cheap knockoffs. I mean, Friday the 13th, you, you could call it a cheap knockoff if you want. <laughs> I, I, I'm not opposed to calling Friday the 13th a cheap knockoff no. of Halloween. But um, but I just find it interesting that, you know, that is sort of considered the trope. But, I mean, it's sort of not named the trope until Scream. <laughs> but with tropes, though, it's like you get that from a few movies and they call uh-huh. it a trend when it's really not yeah. when you look at all of them. Right. Right. Well, and and there's also the you, it's, it's, take, you take that from a few popular movies that use it, yeah. and suddenly like that's the thing, even if it's not really true. It's like the idea of westerns having you know the good guys in white hats and the bad guys in black hats. Yeah, it is right. not <laughs> the case, like ever. No, not even in like the most simplistic good guy bad guy kinds of westerns is that the case. Yeah. In fact, Look at you know, Cape Fear. Kate, Katie was dressed all in white for most of the movie. Exa- in Cape Fear. Exactly. Yeah, he's not all dressed in dark clothes, like even like representing evil in such an obvious way. No, yeah, and I don't, yeah, I don't think that's true with Nancy, which is kind of another kind of reason made me uh, like her a little bit more this time. Well, she's she's a three dimensional character. She's not, um, oh, yeah. she's not a cardboard cutout by any stretch. And it, inside the dream, it's so weird because she has this moment where she calls to Glenn and says. Hey, Glenn, are you still watching? Moments. And he comes in. It's like, yeah. So. Doesn't she realize that if she is seeing him in his dream, either she's dreaming him and he's not really there, or he's asleep too. And they're now they're having the same dream? Yeah, she doesn't think about it though. She doesn't it's like this is normal. This is a dream world. Dream world yeah. rules don't apply. Why would she call out to Glenn in her dream? Yeah, and it's but the thing is it's not necessarily Glenn. Or if it's or if it's a, a a comfort in her dream that she's yeah she's, she's created going after, she's this going figure. after this guy but someone is watching over her and she she's gonna get out of it eventually it could be you know dream skills like like he talks about later yeah. but she doesn't really realize she's doing it you know the fact is it may not be Glenn at all it could be Freddie it could it could be Freddie. I mean, I, know, I didn't I didn't think about it being that, but it could so be. So you could shapeshift to yeah. look like Glenn and yeah. give her a false sense of comfort. But <laughs> I yeah. think it's a funny scene, too, just the way he just... Like, I think it's funny. He's like, yeah. From the tree. So. <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm here. And then he, and he's, then he's walked back behind the tree. When this leaves. is Johnny Depp's first movie, and it's just... He's so... <laughs> baby-faced and so I different than you than you think of him as being because he's always you know sort of the weird outsider and all these sorts mm. of things that he played he's habitually since then you know and here he's sort of the jock and 
mean, it's just so <laughs> not what we're used to with him. It's it's funny. Then that whole thing the where she's just Glenn. Goes, she goes to Rod, right? Yeah, she sees, and she's calling out to Glenn, and she's, Glenn, are you here? And then Freddie's voice says, I'm here. <laughs> that is kind of weirdly like, oh, I'm your boyfriend. I'm here. You know, but also, I'm here. You know, I mean, it's 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 a weird, gross like kind of thing that's going on too with Freddie. Freddie is extraordinarily perverse. You know, okay. he's always wanting to uh, flip the script, always wanting to subvert everything. You know, in some sort of weird, gross way, if he can, yeah. if he can, if he can sexualize something, if he can he's make it sexual, to. basically, yes, yeah, yeah. He'll make it. He'll make it gross. That's that really what it sounds like to me when he says, "I'm here." You know, in that context, it's like, "Yeah, I'm here," <laughs> and it's, <laughs> you know, it's it's it's, 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 it's it could also this. mean like that. I'm here. Like he can. Maybe I'm getting this from the sequels, where he gets stronger the more that they dream about him. Yeah. See, it I'm not crazy like... about the sucking of the souls thing. I I, I gotta <laughs> admit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nightmare Three fans. I really am. I like Nightmare 3 for what it is, but there are a lot of things that really bother me about it. That's what's, what it kind of feels like in this movie, though, yeah. too, is that he he gets stronger. His abilities get stronger the more they, they dream. The more they so fear it, him. The more they fear him. The more they he's, fear him. You kind of wonder with Tina, is this the point where he's she he has made her so afraid of him that he has the ability to reach into the real world and kill her? I mean, that's even... I mean, I don't know about flinging her up the walls. Yeah. For in reality, but where his blades would actually cut her, maybe that's maybe he, maybe he sh- maybe her fear was just strong enough, and maybe he had to work a little bit harder with Nancy because she's stronger. She, uh, Tina, her brain is is so wired into this idea that wounds actually yeah. open on her chest. Oh my gosh! I just blew my own head open a little bit. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Whew. It's a lot. Good it's lord! A lot this more than movie, I thought this, movie was. this yeah. movie. But anyway, um, there's some weird things here. You know, like he wears Tina's face. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's climbing up the stairs, and you know, her feet get stuck in the in the stairs. I mean, it looks it's kind of a cheap effect, but you know, it works okay. Especially we can see the hole. You can see the hole stair. ahead of time, and I know, I know, it's a, it's it's. It, Craven wasn't really interested in doing it, but. Uh, Bob Shea sort of insisted on it. I'm okay with it. He actually uses it in New Nightmare. (laughs) He he liked it enough, you know, to to use it in New Nightmare. Um, Yes, yes. But, you know, then we have this whole, the fight with the feathers and stuff. And you see the feather floating there. I'm convinced Forrest Gump stole this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just bring up Forrest Gump. (laughs) Yeah, Bob Zemeckis, I know you took this from... from, uh, (laughs) Nightmare from Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I see you. I see you. I know you did that. Because this is where she imagines that Freddy is killing Rod, right? You know, Rod gets okay, yeah. killed. But again, you know, the eyes open. And at some so point, she's dragged yeah, up the she's wall. Out in, her, in the dream where she was going to go after him. Yeah, she goes to the police station. And she is so she's watching Rod being killed. And that's how he, well, he, he actually he, dies. Yeah. So <laughs> I know it's it's so like it, but you know it's it's so weird because you know because we see the the rope snaking around his neck we see all that stuff mm-hmm. is it yeah. actually him 
Is it actually, though, is it Rod just crafting that thing and putting it up there and hanging himself, you know, under the influence of Freddie? I don't, you know, because we're, 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 <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. I mean, what we're seeing is a version of reality. We don't know what full reality is necessarily. I mean, we might. Yeah. We might be seeing things at face value. But then again, we might not. I think the movie just puts enough questions into my, my mind to wonder if we can really ta- believe yeah. our own eyes. That's what, all I'm saying with all of this is I'm wondering if we can really believe our own eyes with this movie um, mm-hmm. for vast portions of it. I don't think so. Yeah. God, that's Lynn Shay's first line in her scene, isn't oh, it? Yeah? Like what is seen? What is she saying? Oh, real- exactly. it says something like, what we perceive is not always what is, what is seen. seen like what is seen is not, not always, always what, what is, is real. Pre- what is real. So <laughs> you with us out there? Have we? <laughs> okay. Damn um, it. Okay. I'm so confused. Now. <laughs> the, welcome to the night circus. Oh my God. Um, so do they lead their own dreams or does Freddie have a hand in what they dream or does he just show up? I think Freddie's influencing what they dream entirely. I, I mean, I'm curious, what is Rod's dream? It's interesting that we see Nancy is the one that sees him twisting, picking up the sheet. You know, he disappears when Rod wakes up. But yeah. I mean, is she glimpsing into Rod's dream? Or is she dreaming Rod's death? Is it her fault? Oh my gosh! No, it's not her fault. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's is, it's Freddie manipulating. Is he already it all. dead when she dreamed it, or as it's happening? When they're in the station, after she's woken up, yeah. after they see the Forrest Gump feather, um, and she realizes that you know, wow, something. Shithead, you fell something <laughs> from my dream has come into the real world. Okay, yeah, that or what she believes to be the real world, what we all believe to be the real world. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Is it? <laughs> so um, they go to the station and they said, you yeah. know, take me to my dad, you asshole. That whole thing. Um. <laughs> Right, and so they they go in and they find that Rod is is hung, you know, hanged, yeah. not hung, sorry, hanged, hanged, and um, his neck is broken. God, that scene's cool. I've always been like, that scene's cool. I mean, it, it's for such a low budget film to be able to make that look as good as it does. I mean, you can you can uh, see a wire, the sheet, yeah, the sheet the twisting sheet up yeah. and everything, cool. and yeah. you know, I mean, you can see look like a couple of wires every now and then, but it's pretty minor. And then when I first saw this, I didn't really know how editing worked, so I didn't think of it about as being little pieces of things being put yeah. together. I always thought, wow, they had to film that whole thing, you know, of, of this all happening. And, you know, obviously that's not the case, but it's pretty cool for how it all comes together. I, it's the least sort of the other deaths have are really crazy and over the top. They're really brutal and, and in your face. This one is much more simple, but it's over the top. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, I mean, especially when you're talking about like Glenn's death. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> what is going on? You know, is what I'm thinking. Well, that's going on. But with Rod here, I mean, it's just sort of like Freddie's like, I'm going to make this look like a suicide, even though, I mean, however he 
manipulated this dream in order to make this happen. Um, and we don't see that. We don't see what Rod's dream is. We don't see what Glenn's dream is. We don't see what Nancy's dream is in the clinic. We don't see any dreams mm-hmm. except the ones that Nancy has and the one that Tina has, you know, and we don't see all of them. We don't know entirely what, and again, I mean, what is a dream and what is reality by the end of the movie is so blurred. It's really hard to know. Yeah. And he couldn't affect, he can't affect physical things in the real world. So <laughs> maybe, I, you know, I mean, it's like, how powerful <laughs> is this? You know, how powerful yeah. are we talking here at this point? I mean, but, but I mean, I can, has I can gotten, understand. Has he gotten strong enough from their fear that he is able? Right. He maybe he's not able to come into the real world, but he is able to affect things in the real world, like the shit. Right. I mean, scientifically, I can understand the idea of someone being so afraid that their brain makes something manifest on their body. You know, I mean, it's sure. it's extreme, it's rare, but the idea of someone being so afraid that knife wounds appear on their chest, for example, I buy that. But the whole idea of, you know, like an inanimate object that isn't your brain can't affect this, you know, yeah. ha- you know, <laughs> working. I almost, I almost imagine, I mean, it's not what's shown on screen and that's part of the difficulty of it. But the idea of Rod just in his sleep, twisting up those sheets and we are yeah. and we are being and we are him? being shown yeah. what he's dreaming while this is happening and he's putting it around his neck on his own and he's doing this all while asleep but in his dream he's awake and he's being dragged by this by this thing That's up the what wall I was thinking yeah yeah and so maybe it is Rod's dream maybe we are inside Rod's dream at that point and cuz when they find him he's already hanging they don't see him go yeah. up the wall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I mean, th- just in our discussion, I'm thinking of things that I've never thought of before with this movie. And I've thought about, you thought uh, about it a lot. Already. I think I've thought about this movie more than any other movie in my life. Just sort of obsessing over it. Okay. There's some, okay. The Rod's funeral. This is something I actually literally never noticed before. And I don't know how I never noticed it before. First of all, the priest, in this is the same one that presides over Nancy's funeral in part three, which I think that is the, I haven't seen part three in a long time. That is the crappiest death in the series. I think that I hate that death. I hate how Nancy dies. I hate it. (laughs) And that, and that's why I'm like, I know when she comes back in new nightmare, it's like it redeems all of that for me. In my opinion, I just cannot stand the way that Nancy is just so unceremoniously disposed of. Yeah, right? it really bothers me. I mean, when she is so strong in this movie, it just seems unfair. Yeah. Again, sorry to all the Nightmare 3 fans. I know there are a lot of you, and I love Nightmare 3. There are so many things that are great about it, but the things that I dislike about it are becoming things that I really dislike about it. And I'm sorry to say that. <laughs> One of them is that I think it kind of weakens Freddy by making him, you know, giving a reason for his evil. Oh, he's the bastard yeah, yeah. son of a hundred maniacs. It's like, well, that's great for a Hammer movie, and I love Hammer movies, but I mean, this is, it's scarier when there's no motive. Where have we heard that before? That's also not possible, y'all know. Yeah, I know, he's the... Biologically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, 
but I mean, the whole idea of like we are you blunt his blades by giving him yeah. some. Oh, there's something that made him evil that's beyond his control. No, he chose to be evil. He is evil because he likes it. That is Freddy. Yep. That is that is so much darker to me. What Craven yep. created here and what he does again in New Nightmare is so much darker. Anyway, moving on. He's the scariest <laughs> in the first one and in New Nightmare. I agree. Is really the only times that he's ever really intimidating and scary, yeah. and not. I think a I think he's as much fairly as scary as a character in two. Even though I have problems with two, I think Freddy in that movie is still pretty scary. Because uh, I mean, I like the biggest quip he gives is "You've got the body and I've got the brains," and he pulls his head open. You know, and I, I, I find that oh, that never got uh, okay. I always found that to be really kind of cool and gross and and um, and <laughs> sort of creepy. I think he's really vicious in some of the other movies, like in four. Yeah. I think he's really vicious, but I don't think he's scary. He's just much darker here. He's scary, and in New Nightmare, he's darker. His intentions, his darker. his intentions are darker too. I think. You know, I mean, it's not supernatural. It's not, I'm going to suck out your soul and I'm going to use your soul. The souls of the children give me strength. It's like, okay. <laughs> it just doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I feel so bad. I feel so bad. Because I know new, a lot of people like three better than any of them. And I like three a lot. I used to love it. It used to be my favorite. But what Craven's doing in one and seven is just so profound and the other movies just don't yeah. get it on the same level. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel yeah. And the thing is, like I said, I like all of the movies. I like them all. Yeah. I, this is my favorite se- uh, overall franchise, I think too, you know, and I'll watch them all. I'll watch any one of them any day of the week. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But the, the stronger ones, the strongest ones to me are this one and seven yeah. and they work perfectly well together. They really do. You know, I think seven is it's nice to have sort of all of the the iterations of Freddy in between there, because when Freddy comes out, you know, Robert England as Freddy, not the real Freddy, mm-hmm. comes out on the talk show. Oh, you're all my children now. I mean, all that cultural stuff that came around the time of three and four mm-hmm. is is sort of informs a lot of like that stuff. You know, and I find that interesting. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about but all of the call. All the callbacks in New yeah. Nightmare are. To are the original, they are though. to the original. The only to the original. That's true. That's true. So. And, you know, I think we're going to have to talk about New Nightmare specifically. And I think, I think did we, not uh, we do have it planned to talk about next That's year. Right. So I think it's we actually put it up as one of our movies on movies, I think, or films on filmmaking. I'm sorry. I did it again. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, we definitely need a uh, time to to gush about that one. Just on I its think own. we have it on its own as one to talk about. So okay, so at, at the where funeral, at? at the funeral, there's this oh. thing where the priest says, "Those who live by the sword will die by the sword." And Rod's dad looks back at Donald Thompson, and they kind of exchange a look there, and then they look away from each other. That is the first indication that the parents know something. Yes. It's subtle, it's momentary, and it's like those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And they're it's almost like they're thinking, well, we lived by the sword and now our kids have to die by the sword. Yeah, because that, that phrase basically means that those who fight die fighting. Too. Yeah, exactly. And Rod is seen, you know, with a 
sword with his uh, switchblade, right? But the thing is, that's not how he died. <laughs> it's ironic because, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's almost like Cra- Craven like they're is... Fi- they're fighting against yeah. Freddy. Yeah. Okay, when they go to the dream clinic, <laughs> here's my only note for this scene. And it's all in capital letters with three exclamation points afterwards. What is Nancy dreaming? <laughs> because I want to no. see that dream. What is this dream that she got Freddy's hat, that she got cuts on her arms... And, and her hair turns her gray. Yeah. And originally planned, her whole head was going to turn gray, but it looked weird. So he just gave her a streak, which I think looks so much better. Um, this, I know, it looks cool, right? This must have been like one of the more intense dreams that she had for yeah. all of that stuff to happen. Yeah. And the thing about what it. What was she dreaming? And the thing about it by now, I mean, we've talked about fear and we've talked about fear giving Freddy strength more than, you know, some sort of souls of the children kind of thing, which, you know, hey, that that's fine for what it is. But and hey, it gave us, I think, the ending of four. uh, That's a great freaking ending. You know, all those souls escaping his body and ripping him apart is pretty awesome. (laughs) It's a great (laughs) ending. Uh, It's probably the most satisfying Freddy death, I think. Um (laughs) But her fear has got to be so intense right now. But she faces things. She gets things. She goes after things. At the same time that her fear is giving Freddie strength, it also feels like her fear is giving her strength, too, in a way. Mm -hmm. Because especially after the dream clinic is really when she she's also like obviously sleep deprived. So she's obviously very cranky. Um, But this is where she starts to like really stand up. For herself, and um, she has that scene with her mother. Screw sleep. Where she, screw sleep. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, calls her out for being a drunk. Well, that scene and is probably fun- so, probably something that she's been wanting to say to her for, for a long years, time. You yeah. know. Well, and now for she she has no filter at this point because she hasn't been sleeping. I mean, she just yeah. this is like there's no. It's like what do I have to lose now? And the first thing you see is Marge, you know, hiding the bottle of vodka behind her mm-hmm. back. And then Nancy goes over and gets a cup of coffee and she says, stop drinking that damn coffee. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's crazy. And it's like, it's not. Yeah, yeah, she grab that bottle and veg out with you. It's like. Mm. Freddy Krueger can't hurt you. He's dead. <laughs> you know, that's Mommy where that finally comes out. It's like, you, <laughs> feeling better? You call this feeling better? <sighs> that whole scene in the kitchen is really something. You say, and, then, and after that, you knew this whole time and you've been telling me it's something I made up? It's like Freddy can't kill you. He's dead. It's like what you knew about this, and you. I kind of wonder: Is Marge having dreams? She doesn't say because I mean she is dulling her senses, and I think or it's been have, going on for a long time too. Yeah, or have they learned something about? Like, again, this is coming from the sequels of like mostly from <laughs> Freddy versus Jason of like <laughs> being him being forgotten. You know, oh, if right. we just don't talk about him, we don't say his name. That's a little bit truer to the mythology of this movie though because is it, what we end up what, what we end up because that's what the parents are that's what the parents are trying to do essentially right they're trying to bury their own sins and you know make him but is this the first time he's ever reappeared is what i'm basically asking oh yeah i don't know do you think i think it is 
I think it is because I, one of the things that's interesting about Freddie is how did he figure out how to do this? I mean, how was right. his was his <laughs> was his hatred so strong that he somehow? But why would it take so long? He then? somehow survived. And okay, I wrote a piece of a prequel and the prologue to it all. And I, I actually abandoned it because I hate the idea of a backstory for Freddy. Now that I've thought about it more, everyone wants to do a prequel. And I'm like, you know, go watch Cape Fear and M and you there's your prequel. <laughs> okay. He's just evil. Yeah. I just had this imagining you know, of this, this, you know, he just remembers burning and he remembers pain. And, and then this consciousness, this germ of his conscience, consciousness wakes up in this total blackness and he just sort of reaches out and starts dragging himself along by his claw through this blackness. And he sees this in the distance, in the far distance, he sees this like light, sort of a red and green light that he moves toward. But it takes him so long to figure out how, I mean, he just ruminates on this revenge that he's going to get and his hatred and bitterness sort of bring him to his consciousness, his existence into a point where he figures out he can enter into the dreams of those who, who wronged him. I think that sounds like it's probably the truth. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe that's the backstory Craven even had in his head. I don't know. I, he, he never, that, he was, he was something like that. He was not keen on giving a lot of backstory to Freddie. And I think that is, more effective Maybe not backstory into his real life but backstory yeah into mm-hmm. how he became what he is yeah that's why i'm wondering like what if this is his first reappearance had the parents dreamed about him before mm-hmm. but maybe because they knew who he was they, because they had their own guilt yeah about what they did they were able to suppress him yeah more than their own kids were right well they know that he's dead you know, so they yeah, they can exactly, say yeah. they can they can actually say they can be like, if he appears in his dream, dream it's like you're you're not real, you're dead, we killed you. Yeah, and he's not strong enough at that point because they don't yes. fear him to be able to go strong. Where he uh, enters into the kids, I mean, to wound a parent through their children is terrifying. I mean, just like we were talking about with Cape we Fear, just talked about Cape Fear. Yeah, I mean that is that is the most horrifying thing to a parent. So I think that's why it's important to show that, in the most part, Tina and her mother obviously have a very strained relationship. So you don't know what's going on there. But obviously there's real affection between Nancy and Donald, for sure. And to some extent with Marge, though Marge is a different case. The teenage daughter-mother dynamic is just complicated. I kind of have, I've had that own stuff before where like outwardly you're like you show a lot more affection than you you have a lot of resentment inside yeah that you're not really ready to confront yet yeah that's i feel that a lot with him too yeah and it sucks because marge is ah she's tough for me she is because just i think the nature of her her character being an alcoholic she makes it hard to read she does and you know the way ronnie blakely plays her is very strange too I used to really hate her performance. I got to admit. No, I, I don't. I don't hate it. No. I I used to. Used to. I have grown to think that it's kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say it sounds. She was acting like she is in a different movie, and I was like, she's in a state where she is so far gone 
with guilt, with drowning everything in vodka. Um, yeah. That she just doesn't have much. She laugh. was probably traumatized by the whole. Of course she was. I mean, she has Freddie's glove. Yeah. Sitting in her furnace downstairs. In her house. It's always there. Yeah. It's the way trauma affects everybody differently. Yeah. It probably got to her a lot in some way that it didn't to everybody else. Well, like I was telling you before. And what other parents were involved? Yeah. I mean. Probably Rod's dad. The assumption. But I don't know. The assumption is that it's the parents of the four teenagers. That they are the ones who carried out, and that in this movie at least, and then, you know, I think when you get into the sequels, I I think you can make a good case for Kristen's mother being part of the vigilante force there. They show a whole freaking mob of parents, so it's a lot of them. Yeah, so I mean, there, there are lots of things that it could definitely be. A lot of people would be involved, but according to something I heard, uh, apparently in an earlier draft, uh, Marge actually dealt the final death blow to Freddie. Mm-hmm. There was a flashback originally planned. Um, well, because you wonder how she would have his glove. If yeah, they, yeah. If they was, were just if they were just outside and they lit the building on fire with him, and uh-huh. like, uh. and Freddie comes out on fire. She grabs the glove off his hand and kills him with it, which I think. <laughs> Man, I want to see that happen. You know, right? I mean that. I know West didn't have the have the budget he needed to do some of those kinds of things, but I mean, geez, that would have been something to see. And um, and that's why she has the glove. Marge is just a fascinating character, and by the end, I think it's really sad character. Oh yeah, she has wonderful moments with Nancy. And this is the part where I mean, obviously, we get the dream skills sequence and the booby traps. To she's reading the book, and you know that whole thing. And those that's important. Essentially, Glenn tells her, you know, how to defeat the monster in a dream is, you know, you turn your back on it, take its power away, and it disappears. Glenn is actually very important in this movie. He gives her two very important pieces of information. The first one is at the beginning when he says just tell yourself in the dream that it's a dream yeah and that'll help you get out of it because and she does that later on before she mm-hmm. you know slams her arm on the pipe yep that's right and then this is just a dream god damn you yeah yeah and then obviously yeah this big piece of information of how to to beat freddie which her mom also says later. a similar thing too she does <laughs> well i mean when she comes home from school mother what's with the bars <laughs> um and she comes out and i love she the like, way she says that she mother comes, Mother? I love that too. And she comes out. She calls her mother and then she calls her mama. Mama. Earlier too. Like usually you only call your mom like one thing. Then I love Marge comes out and she just sort of comes out, lights a cigarette. (laughs) It's it's so, it's very, it's very like film noir. What are you going to do now? Yeah. But here's the thing though. If Marge really believes Freddy Krueger is dead, what what is with the bars? You know? I don't know. <laughs> then you have uh, the whole backstory. You find out about that stuff, and that's all interesting and interesting to talk about and stuff. But this is where we're starting to get into the territory where the dream world is really yes. crossing <laughs> over into the real world, and that's Nancy's plan. You know, I'm going to go in and find him. Baseball bats and boogeymen, all that stuff. Glenn, don't whatever you do, don't fall asleep. And you have all this stuff where you are outside of Nancy's periphery again, you know, where you see or purview, where you see Glenn's parents talking. I don't want my 
I don't want my kid hanging out with that kid ever again, leaving the phone off the hook and, you know, uh-huh. and Miss Nude America's on, all that stuff. Um, <laughs> Glenn is what? so <laughs> You don't remember that? Or is it just like, how can, you, how can you watch your television and listen to your records at the same time? It's like... Oh, I was like, I wasn't listening to the two. It was like Miss Nude America's on. It's like, well, how how do you how, how will you, you know what she, she says? says? It's like, who cares what she says? <laughs> you know, it's like who would say that to your mom? I don't know. But, I love uh, that kind of stuff. I think that's them, very so. funny. I love. That. I think that's very cute. That's a nice indication of what their relationship is like. Yeah, and also yeah. it's an indication that Wes Craven had a sense of humor. And yeah, a very honestly. wry sense of humor. And um, <laughs> I just love that. And But when she gets the phone call, she picks up the phone and here's the sound of the scraping. And she pulls the phone out of the wall. She pulls the yes. cord out of the wall, wraps the thing up, sets it on her bed, and she gets another call. And I'm just like, okay. It could be just happening in her mind. It's like. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy, and a tongue appearing out of the bottom of the phone. I'm just saying we are definitely crossed over into an an alternate reality. I mean, she's so tired. She has been awake for days. Yeah, but remember, she is incredibly sleep deprived. This could also just be not a dream, but a hallucination. It could be like these micro nap things, you know, where you just suddenly fall asleep without realizing it. I mean, who knows what's going on at this point? I mean, by now... They do kind of imply that Freddy can be there pretty much the instant you fall asleep. Yeah. Because that that happened earlier in the movie. Yeah. So... And we're like... She falls asleep in the class, I think. I think think at this point I was asking, okay, we're in the dream world. When did we get here? When did she fall asleep? Yeah. And that's, that's where I start... Pushing it back and back and back and back and back. I, I, I want to almost say, to the I beginning of the movie. It again, yeah. I I want to say it's a part where it could be kind of obvious when she's laying in bed. Her mom says goodbye. It's before she pulls out the coffee pot mm-hmm. from underneath. I, maybe she fell asleep. Maybe when she was pretending to be asleep, so her mother would leave mm-hmm. her alone. She actually did fall asleep. Hell, she could still be in the dream clinic. I mean, it's it's there's so many <laughs> things that it could be. I don't know. I mean, it's just it's just bonkers by this point. I love all of this stuff, you know, it's like where she's looking for the key. Locked, locked, locked. You know, <laughs> you are going to get some sleep tonight if it kills me. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway. Um, Don't say stuff like that. <laughs> and then then we have, have Glenn fall asleep. And again, when the arms come out, his eyes are open. Mm-hmm. The arms come out of the bed. His eyes are open. What the hell is he dreaming that he's in a giant blender? I don't know. And that death yeah. scene is just intense. I mean, it's just seeing all that gore fly out of that bed. <laughs> it's freaking cool. It is so cool. I mean, even knowing <laughs> how so it's cool. even knowing how it was done, you're just like, this is so incredible looking. <laughs> and knowing now, knowing that the room got out of control and kept spinning and spinning and spinning, and so all the blood is like, and it edited together in these different ways, so that sometimes it looks earlier in the shot than later and all this stuff it's just so crazy and then they show her the the mother just seeing this happen 
you know, seeing the blood coming down from the ceiling. No, no, what's worse is later when uh, his dad sees the cop, like, put the bucket on the floor, like, capture the blood falling from the ceiling. And it says this is station KRGR leaving the air. I can't believe Um, you never noticed that before. (laughs) Well, I know. But, I mean, it's it's, it's station... But, I mean, it's also an indication that, that it's the dream. That he's in a dream, yeah. That's, I think, a pretty clear indication of that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's really something. But, you know, she kind of gets over it real quick, doesn't she? I mean, she calls her father on the phone and says, okay, in 20 minutes, I want you to come over and... Because now we're getting into it, yeah, right? This is the okay, part so that this is the really part. Okay. fucked me up. Okay. Because, so, yes, she calls her father it. Uh-huh. and says... Come break down the door. You're going to get Come break down the door in. in 20 minutes. That'll give me enough time to fall asleep and go in and find him. However... The next scenes are her setting She's, up all the booby traps. All the booby traps. And talking and then, to her mom. Talking to her mom, which is my new favorite scene in the movie, by the way. And I mine think. too. And, and you did that in 20 minutes. No. Ten minutes. She ten did minutes. it in 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes. She's in bed at the 10 minute mark. Because she sets the timer for 10 minutes to. Uh, yeah. 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 There's yeah. no so, way Craven would have. He didn't he notice w- that. That that yeah. editing is not right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's that time compression thing that you yeah. experience in dreams. There's time dilation. There's time yes. compression. That time is sort of meaningless in a dream. And I think that's what's happening here. And I think that's indicating that that's what's happening here. But gosh, that scene of putting Marge to bed. Yeah. Is, and she's just says, I was just trying to protect you. And what Marge says never hit me so hard as it does here. And says, me too, dude. Yeah. I swear. This was like the key. The key to the, the whole movie, key, isn't it? key line. Yeah. Yeah. Both to so the movie and to Nancy's character. Uh, just another reason I, I admire mm-hmm. her a lot more this time. Was this line from Marge, actually, not anything that Nancy herself says. Yeah. But exactly. just an observation that Marge makes about Nancy. Yeah. She says, uh, you face things. It's in your nature. It's your gift. Mm-hmm. But then she closes it by saying, but sometimes you have to turn away too. Yes. And that is, of course, the key to victory. Yes. Here's something that I also have noticed recently or brought into my mind more recently. Okay. During this scene, there's this easel sitting in the background. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. And whenever they show like the piano downstairs, there's music on the piano, like sheet music on the piano. And I'm kind of wondering, was Marge like an artist or a musician or someone with dreams of her own that she gave up when all of this happened? Did she lose her will to be who she was when her child died that we don't know about anymore because it was cut out of the movie? <laughs> it was right? cut out of the movie. <laughs> Um, um these are these are just things that I think are interesting details in the set dressing. I mean, you see things like on Glenn's door, he's got a crutch with uh, this whole collage on on yeah. the outside of his door uh that I think the set decoration he's got that weird stuffed animal like yeah, on her bed <laughs> and she's got like on something the headboard and she's got something in, coming off her headboard that looks like. It was something from like a Spanish project in her Spanish class or something like that. Mm. I mean, all sorts of things like that around this set dressing 
that I think give it such a great feel of authenticity and make you kind of wonder what is there, is there something about the characters that we don't know? I think there's a lot about Marge that we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if there was, are those indications of who she was, but is just lost the capability of being anymore. And that's really tragic. It makes Mm -hmm. me appreciate that character more. Does where you can see that they all suffered this collective trauma in yeah. a way dealing with Freddie, and yet the other parents have been able to move on, and she's maybe the one that hasn't. I yeah. see her as a very tragic figure in that way. Yeah, and this whole ending of that scene is Nancy is now in the motherly position, yeah. tucking in. She's putting kiss, her mom to bed. <laughs> kisses her on the head. Good night. Night. I mean that is crazy stuff it's kind of beautiful and it's so sad and it's this woman you know i mean she literally has a bottle (laughs) i mean uh very much like a baby kind of thing and it's it's (laughs) just like you know taking the bottle away and everything uh uh, okay then uh, the bedtime prayer the bedtime prayer is now i lay me down to sleep thing Uh, if i die before i wake that shows up in so many Craven movies, so mm-hmm. many, over and over and over. It's in Last House on the Left. It's in People Under the Stairs. It, it's it's in My Soul to Take. <laughs> I mean, obviously. Uh, so pretty much every movie, almost every movie he wrote, the bedtime prayer is in it. It's, that prayer has always creeped me out. It's in a way. and it's creepy. I think that's the, I think that's why he uses it. We because had, it like, is um, creepy. This whole yeah. idea of the child saying, if I die before I yes. wake. We had like this, uh, in my house when I was growing up, we had this like cross stitch, I think, that my great grandma had done of that whole prayer. Yeah. Like just hanging up in, I think in one of the hallways next to my bedroom. And so I would see it almost every day. And that used to always like, that line, especially if I die before I wake. Right. That used to creep me out when I was a kid. Yeah. It's terrifying, and I—I I mean, we never did particularly did that prayer in. in no, in I never our said the prayer. It was just. Yeah, a... I mean, it, even me as a with a religious upbringing, we didn't use that mm-hmm. particular one. Uh, <laughs> we were we were more creative, we, I guess. The one that she had cross stitched though, it had an extra line at the bottom that I never hear anymore. Whenever you hear that prayer in movies, okay, it said, um, you know, usually it ends with. I pray um, the Lord, I, my soul to take. My soul yeah. to take. This one said, um, if I should live for other days, I pray the Lord to guide my ways. Oh, okay. Is how the, I've never, and I've never heard that in any other no thing where the, that prayer is said, like, especially in movies and stuff. But it's a much that's nicer what that, ending. That's what this, that's what this cross stitch said. It was like, where did she get that? Did she yeah. just make that up? Because I've never heard it anymore. I had n- so I I've, I've never heard it before, but I actually, uh, it didn't make sense. It was probably, you know, people <laughs> go for the darker ending, you know, right. <laughs> Okay, so now, I mean, when she falls asleep, I mean, giving her 10 minutes to go and find Freddy, you know, in that dream sequence where she jumps and she's, I love this stuff because, I mean, she goes into the cellar and she opens the door and now she's in the boiler room and then she jumps from somewhere and she's she jumps into her own yard and, and then the rose trellis and she, the alarm goes off and she's in bed with the rose trellis and then the For rose like trellis second, goes and away then it's gone, yeah. and then it's gone and that is so well done it's so beautifully it done and again it's all, all that, that blurring of reality all, yeah all that dream transition stuff that yeah it works in the dream but in the real world it, it doesn't and it makes it more confusing yeah. as to exactly 
what's a dream and what's reality? And, you know, and then here's the jump scare that gets me every single freaking time. Every single fucking time. It got me the last time. Oh, it is. I knew it was coming. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the part where ah!" Yeah, I mean, it it makes me, this is the only jump scare of a movie that I watch repeatedly that still gets me. It's the only one. I mean, because there are a few in this movie, like where he jumps up behind Tina at the beginning and the one where he just sort of pops into the frame in this movie in in this sequence um, in the boiler room. Uh, some of yep. those, uh, those don't get me at all anymore, but this one still does. I know. There's something about the sound and the way, you know, because the sound design of this, what they do to England's voice you know, yep. to lower it and make it sound weird and all the different things they do. That's most of it is modified from England's real voice. Cause I mean, you hear the raw footage of I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy, it's not scary, but when they add that vocal effect, yeah. it's terrifying. Nice. So I love that stuff. And another reason why I think the sound design is so it's kind of low key MVP of this. I don't even know what it is. That literal like, chittering sting of yeah. music that you hear whenever he pops up it's like yeah. i can't describe it <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot of really interesting stuff going there i mean okay so the whole thing you know she's yelling at the dad you know he lights lights him on fire in the basement you know i beat him i got him you know daddy come here it's like i better call <laughs> get go my get dad, my dad ass- asshole. asshole yeah that's a great line <laughs> so that whole section is so good and and then going up and seeing Freddie on, on the bed with Marge. Okay, so this is where I think Nancy realizes she's in a dream. Because she yes. they pull the, the sheet back and they see Freddie's gone. The skeleton does that whole thing where it kind of waves at them. Mm-hmm. You know, and then she sinks into the bed in the mist. And it's almost like she goes over and hugs her dad and she goes, wait a minute. Yeah. That can't happen. Yeah, it's like she has a moment of realization right there, yeah. And I, I never really realized that that is where she has a realization, but then she, but the way the, she delivers her, her the next lines. with him right after that. It's like, you go ahead, Daddy. Yes. I'll be there in a minute. It's, it's she's thinking things through here. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I got from it, too, yeah. And then her closing monologue here, because she actually says the words, this is just a dream. This whole whole thing thing has been just a dream. I'm okay. You go downstairs. I'll be there in a minute. I know you too well now, Freddy. No. You die. It's too late, Kruger. I know the secret now. This is just a dream. You're not alive. This whole thing is just a dream. I want my mother and friend again. What? I take back every bit of energy I gave you. 
You're nothing. What whole thing, Brian? <laughs> I don't know. And that's why it's not a cheat. Otherwise, okay, when she turns her back on Freddy and says, you're nothing, you're shit, which is great. And yeah. he goes for her and he just disappears. And that is Nancy's victory. That is the real ending of the movie. That is the climax. It's satisfying in a non-horror <laughs> movie kind of way. Yeah. Because, as Craven said, the ghost of Carrie haunts us all. <laughs> and the closing of the Carrie... Of Bob yeah, the, the close of Carrie is so strong that everyone had to have a jump scare at the end, right? Yes. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so this is the way I now look at the ending. So she walks out the door, and she's all of a sudden on the front porch. Now, that is Craven still, who wrote this. And Marge comes out and says... <gasps> Are you feeling all right? You know, I think I'm going to quit drinking. All that stuff is clearly like we are still still in a dream. We are obviously still in a dream. Yes. And she does. And Nancy doesn't really realize it. I don't think As she thinks she's woken up again and again and again and again. And it's like layer upon layer of being inside this dream. And she goes and sees her friends. She gets in the car. Let's imagine that that the roof doesn't clamp down. Let's just imagine that the car drives off into the mist we see Marge wave goodbye and we follow the car and then the keeps panning over and there's the jump, jump rope, rope kids. kids. That is the way the movie should end. Yes. It almost does. Uh, it, unfortunately, it, it's not a stinger ending if you don't have Freddy's claw come out the window and pull Marge and that, that really bad, bad looking dummy um, through the window. <laughs> Now, Terrible. It looks so bad. I'm sorry. It really does. And it, it mars the movie for me, unfortunately. It's the one thing of the movie that I just sort of viscerally hate. Yeah. Um, and like you said last night, like it, it completely negates her victory over Freddy. Uh, it and does. I hate that. And, you know, Craven only went along with it because it was like, okay, this guy, he's the only one who believed in this movie. You know, I think they they made their peace with each other in the end. By the time they made New Nightmare, things were, to Bob Shea's credit, he really did, you know, try and make things right between them, which I th give him a lot of credit for. But, and I think Craven's right. I mean, what else are you going to do? It's like, this is not the ending I like. This is not the ending I want. But at the same time, this guy put up everything, everything on the line to make this movie when nobody else would. Nobody. Yeah, that's true. So that's why we have the ending we have. But sure. like I said, I can imagine it the way I described. And in that scenario, it also leaves it open. I mean, except for the fact that Rod is already in the car for them to pull up mm -hmm. to school and say, I had a nightmare last night, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so that's sort of what my dream version of it, you know, if I were to recut the ending would be. There are a lot of unanswered questions. And like I said, the thing that makes it so it's not the whole, 
oh, it was only a dream, that sort of cheap ending, is that there's just this constant blurring of the reality where you don't know for sure when things are real, when things aren't, when you're in the dream or when you're in the real world, or if you or ever are in the real world. The the or who's still alive at the end of the movie. You think that Marge is really dead? Well, okay, since we've had that discussion about Rod. Well, the thing is, Nancy's still in the dream, so I think they probably are all dead. She just is in this dream believing that they're still alive. But we <laughs> yeah. don't but we don't know for sure. I mean, is she forever trapped in Freddy's world? I mean, we don't even know. I mean, did she 100% defeat Freddy? If she 100% defeated Freddy, then yes, they are alive and this has all been just a dream and these people did not actually die. Yes. So, I don't know. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just keep going back to that shot at the beginning of the movie of -hmm. the jump rope kids and the way that the camera just kind of pans over to the car. Like, that's not a real world transition. That's a dream transition. It is. I know. It it really (laughs) does feel like that is still a dream. That the first scene that we have with all the kids is not the real world, that it's a dream. And like I said, it's just this whole depth of things. <laughs> the The fact that you don't really know is part of the brilliance of it all. Yeah. And I think it We've had makes... this other movies, like the ones that like frustrate you and like mm-hmm. kind of piss you off the most are also like, I love this movie because of that reason. I yeah. love this. The, and the fact that this movie has sort of the readings where you can really read it and just enjoy it at a face value mm-hmm. and just be like, huh, that's a weird thing, you know, <laughs> uh, is cool too. But you can also, um, get I way think, too into it. <laughs> get, get really deep into it and really struggle with what Craven. And I think that's just proves that Craven was more brilliant than yeah. anyone ever gave him credit for. He really was. And I think he just took it to the next level in, in New Nightmare. Absolutely. Just pulling it to this whole meta narrative situation. I mean, what else can you do? Because what he's done in this first film is so profound about the nature of reality that he's going to say, well, let's pull that into the real world and see how this fake world affects our reality. To where Freddy is not even really Freddy anymore, but mm-hmm. uh, he's a lot more than just Freddy in New Nightmare. It's, yeah. Yeah. We'll get into that. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, he's yeah, he's brilliant. Love you, Wes. Miss you. I mean, I've just sort of in already endlessly discussed this movie in lots of different ways. And I yeah. think I could just keep, I mean, just this conversation, I mean, this is things that I haven't thought about entirely. I don't know if I had anything. It was just me being like, wait a minute. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> well, you made me think of things that I had never considered before. Huh. So thank you. I'm like, wow, thank I can, I can, well, I can no, keep I'm on. I'm at you for making me, <laughs> for breaking my for brain. For giving like you, I gave you the red pill. I use, uh, you, you are I out of the, you hole. are out of the matrix now. You are <laughs> <laughs> down the rabbit hole. I don't mean to, this to sound like any sort of QAnon thing. I'm actually talking about the matrix here. I'm not talking about anything else. <laughs> Sorry about that. Those those things all have different meanings now than they used to, unfortunately. There's literally like other stuff I wanted to do yesterday, but instead I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to watch Nightmare again, and we're going to really look at some of these scenes. <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> try to okay. figure this shit out. And you know what? I haven't figured that out. And I haven't either. I like that I haven't figured it out, too, because I'm sure I'll see it a totally different way. If I watch it again, which is awesome, which is very yeah. cool. Very brilliant movie. 
It really is. Okay, we gotta we gotta wrap it up. Now. We gotta wrap it up. How much we've been going on for what four hours now? Over oh, four geez. hours. So this is our longest recording session ever. Now this <sighs> has gone beyond the length of Magnolia and Cuckoo's Nest. Okay, all right. So we are going to do a couple of recommendations. So yeah, I switched my recommendation at the last minute, and now I'm super stoked about this because I love this movie. This is just another movie um, relating to Cape Fear. It's another J. Lee Thompson movie that I really love. You don't know? I'm seeing if you're guessing it. I I, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of my own recommendation right now. <laughs> it's probably not a great one. Um, he's probably got other better movies in his oeuvre, I would say. But one I absolutely nice. love. <laughs> Thank you. What I absolutely love is 1983's 10 to Midnight. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh, man, why wasn't I thinking of that one? Jeez. Uh, Thompson, in his later career, worked a lot with Charles Bronson. Um, did mm-hmm. the last, I can never Death remember. Wish 4. Like, he did, like, the last two? I know three. he did four, Death Wish 4. Yeah. Um, I, never, I can never remember. But he did. Uh, I thought this. Michael Winner did two and three. But I'm uh, not sure. Fuck you, Michael Winner. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but he did. Uh, I have thought. Another Charles Bronson movie, Ten to Midnight, which Ten is fucking awesome. Is it is the Charles Bronson naked slasher movie. He's not the naked slasher, but he deals with the naked slasher. And this movie is just all kinds of bonkers and amazing. And if you've never seen Ten to Midnight, please, please do yourself a favor and go check out Ten to Midnight. I've only seen uh, 10 to Midnight once, and so I'm going to be watching it again ASAP <laughs> because, yeah, I've got it it's on my shelf. It's a fascinating movie. So. Yeah, Scream Factory did a great uh, Blu-ray of it. So That's what I have. Yeah. It, so was a, it was a blind buy I was very happy with. So another blind buy that I was very happy with is my recommendation. I'm going to go with the fun one. I could go with the less fun one, but I'm going to go with the fun one. And say, Race with the Devil Yeah, <laughs> from 1975 is just super fun and yeah. super awesome. And Warren Oates and Peter Fonda and Loretta Swit and someone else who I can't remember are all <laughs> just, ter- I mean, Satanists, rattlesnakes. Rattlesnakes. Oh, my God. That rattlesnake scene ah. was probably the one of the most terrifying scenes so I have ever seen. Oh. I mean, seriously, it reminded me of Kill Bill Volume 2. Right. You know, <laughs> that, it was just, yeah. That's, that part is terrifying. Oh, God. I mean, uh, you got me, that gives me the yeah. heebie-jeebies. Talk about, you know, sort of this ambiguity of who can you trust, what is real, and what is right. not. And <laughs> that great ending oh man what an ending that movie's got and yeah. so that's what i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with a nice fun recommendation that is race with the devil available from scream factory and it's on a it's on the same disc as dirty mary crazy larry which is a lot of fun another peter fonda movie i want to see that one so bad my brother is like really into car movies and he loaned it to me years ago and i watched it it's like this movie's amazing <laughs> i mean it's not great but i mean it's just awesome you know i i remember seeing it around the time i saw like death proof and stuff like that yeah i gotta get so. a disc and those are fun recommendations so and we're gonna have more fun with the the next episode because we're going on vacation yeah kind of a downer <laughs> last few times in a couple ways but the next ones 
are super fun, I would say. I know mine is, at least. I don't know yours because I've oh, not mine, seen it before. Mine is, mine is just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, like you said, these are summer movies. Uh, what's yours? Mine is from 1993, Indian Summer, directed by Mike Binder. And boy, I really like this movie a lot. My wife introduced it to me many years ago. It's got Alan Arkin, Bill Paxton, Diane Lane, Kevin Pollack, Elizabeth Perkins, and in a very funny performance, Sam Raimi. Yes, that <laughs> Sam Raimi. <laughs> So I never even heard of this. It has Bill Paxton's story about a girl he used to like and some tape is pretty hilarious. I'm looking forward to you seeing it. I hope you like it. That's the thing. I mean, it's one of those movies where I haven't seen it a lot, but it just sort of gives me a nice feeling. But it's a great movie about a reunion of sorts. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And my pick for this is from 1991. Huge staple of my growing up viewings. I watched this so much because I pretty much wanted to be the main character. We're talking about Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Nice. <laughs> Dishes are done, man. <laughs> and I don't know what to say about this one. Um, stars Christina Applegate as Sue Ellen Crandall, who is just like freaking goals. To me, mm. she always was. She was so cool. And it's got David Duchovny, young Danielle Harris as her little sibling, um, Joanna Cassidy as her boss. Amazing cast. Such a funny story, but still feel it's one of those like um, kind of outlandish, irreverent plot lines, but also kind of could maybe happen, really. <laughs> Yeah, I just saw it this for the fun. first time a few weeks ago, and we watched it for our family movie night, and we had a yeah. great time. And my kids loved it, too. It Good. still holds up. It's a lot of fun. So yeah. I'm looking forward to watching it again. I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks, but I'm like, I'm down for it again. <laughs> it's just, I think the characters are great. It's a great story of, you know, with the siblings and family. There's a lot of great uh, moments there. And... Yeah, I love this movie. I love this movie so much. I'm so excited to talk about it and to have a little bit more fun, like we said, with the next episode. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> though Nightmare was pretty fun, as much as it made your brain hurt. It made my brain mine, hurt so bad. It right? made mine hurt, too. That's okay. Uh, Wes, you were a genius. It was a good cleanser after uh, Cape Fear. Cape so. Fear, that's... Uh, Thank you all for that. Yes. Okay, well, I think we probably need to wrap up, so... Yeah. You can find us on the socials. Um, I'm at Brian D. Kuiper on Twitter. And I am at Michelle N. Agan. And you can find the show at Movie Life Pod. And you can rate and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Yeah. What will we do, Brian? We'll see you next time. Yeah, we will. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye. Bad.